to the Practical Theology Ministries podcast. My name is Michael, and I am joined, as always, by Lou. Hey, how's everybody doing today? And we have gathered together this week to tell you that you will either bow the knee or God will break it. Your choice. Simple as that. Have fun with that decision. Just, <laughs> you know, let me know how that works out for you. Oh, that's great. <laughs> oh. Now, why would I say such a cruel and obviously mean thing? I'm glad you asked. You do ask such lovely questions. Isaiah chapter 45. Gather yourselves and come. Draw near together, you fugitives of the nations. They have no knowledge. Who carry about their wooden idol and pray to a God who cannot save. Declare and set forth your case. Indeed, let them consult together. Who has announced this from of old? Who has long since declared it? It is not I, the Lord. Or, I'm sorry, is it not I, the Lord? If I could read, we'd be all set. And there is no other God besides me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none except me. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. I have sworn by myself, the words have gone forth from my mouth in righteousness and will not turn back, that to me every knee will bow, every tongue will swear allegiance. They will say of me, only in the Lord are righteousness and strength. Men will come to him, and all who are angry at him will be put to shame. In the Lord, all the offspring of Israel will be justified and will glory. Ah, that was chipper and happy, wasn't it? You said a mouthful. All right. (coughs) Excuse me there. A couple of things we have to make sure. Isaiah 45, let's get a context. God has promised that deliverance is coming, but it's going to come in the person of Cyrus. So he's going to allow the people eventually to return after the exile, which, by the way, when you're talking about Isaiah, won't happen for, oh, another, let me get my Bible timeline right, another 140 years? No, it's not quite that far. Maybe another 100 years, somewhere in that ballpark. Yeah. Somewhere in there. Now, what is God demonstrating? Sovereign rule over what? Everything Everything and everyone. Everything and everyone. Mm -hmm. Gather yourselves and come. Draw near together, you fugitives of the nations. They have no knowledge who carry about their wooden idol and pray to a God who cannot save. Turn to, fast forward to verse 22 again, turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth for I am God and there is no other. So come back to our passage a little more. What is God going to do? He's going to condemn sin, specifically which sin? Idolatry. Idolatry. But he's going to do it in a fair trial. Did you catch that part? Let me see if I can find it again. Declare and set forth your case. Indeed, let them consult together. God literally says, go ahead, you guys get together, bring me your best argument, and then I'll declare you guilty. He's, he's a benevolent dictator. He's a righteous God. Yes. You're guilty because you're guilty. I mean, you know, Genesis 6, Genesis 8, uh, Psalm 14, Romans 3. This is just simple. You're guilty, get over it, and let's move on. Mm-hmm. Now, who will God then rule over? I don't know. Just everyone. Everyone, everything. Everyone. Every knee will bow. Every and tongue will confess. Yeah, you will either bend the knee... Or, or will. God will bend it for you. Yeah, that might not be pleasant. Yeah, that, that probably will not be pleasant. This yeah. is not, not going to end well for you. They will say of me, only in the Lord are righteousness and strength. Men will come to him. All who are angry at him will be put to shame. That's, See, that's a mouthful right there, Michael. There are a lot of people out there that are angry with God. Well, yeah, and yeah. they've got no hope. And right. Not only do they have no hope, they've got no case. I mean, they've already been declared guilty. See, here's the thing. You've already been declared guilty. You've already been judged. Right. 
but you're still angry with him? See, this is why hell is hot and hell is forever. So we, we have this misplaced notion in modern society that the, the uh, wretched sinner who is cast into hell is going to sit there and go, you know, these flames are warmer than I thought they were going to be. You know what I think I'm going to do? I think I'm going to repent and put my trust in Jesus and be saved. See, that's what we think is going to happen because that's what we would like to happen. I got bad news for you. Angry people, when they hurt, typically get angrier. Yeah. If you don't believe me, stub your toe and then step on a leg up. I have met many people that have said, if God is going to judge me for all of these things, and they and he says that they're wrong, and I'm wrong, I don't want to be anywhere near that kind of God. They are angry to the core. They shake their fist at him. See, and there it is. Now, do you think when he actually applies the judgment, they're going to be nicer about it? No, they're going to be even more angry. There it is. They shake their... Now, they will be put to shame, meaning what? What do we mean they will be put to shame? Do they think it's shame to be judged and cast into hell? No, that's not shame. Mm -hmm. Their shame is going to be that they will too bow that knee before God. They will acknowledge him as just, as righteous, and as judge. A day of recognition. Yes. And where they have no choice but to recognize the sovereign Lord, the king of all, the creator of all, and bow their knee to him and acknowledge their fault and their sin. (laughs) And then, sadly go their way to that lake of fire that they they wanted yeah. they'll and they'll still be angry about it and they'll still right. be shaking their fist about it but they will know that they have been judged by a righteous and holy god now this is a fun happy story hour to kick off a show isn't it yeah we're a couple of <laughs> <laughs> you're going to hell and you're not gonna like it but you're gonna acknowledge it anyway yeah retell you this story because there's some things being demonstrated here the call of god through history that a a kingdom that hasn't even arisen, Cyrus of Persia. You gotta remember when Isaiah is writing, the uh, the Babylonians and the Ass- the Assyrians really are the big problem. They've wiped out Samaria and the Northern Kingdom. They have not been taken out yet by the Babylonians. That won't happen till six six oh nine ish. Don't quote me on that. So until the end of the seventh century BC. So then we're gonna get the Babylonians after the Assyrians. Then we're gonna get some Persians. And we won't get that until Daniel 5. We'll go with Daniel 5. Read the book of Daniel to do you good. And so (laughs) Isaiah is promising a king from a nation that doesn't even have authority to change a stop sign right now. But God can say, that's who I'm going to raise up to bring deliverance for these people. Not only is he promising that, here's the funky thing. He's, He's talking about 100 or so years in the future. That's the short term. He's promising long-term that he, as just and righteous judge, will hear your case and judge rightly based on what he already knows and has already decided. Because he knows all, he sees all, and he commands all. Me, you, everybody else. So God's sovereignty is clearly on display. Humanity's guilt is clearly on display. We call out to idols who can't save us. Why? Because we have concocted in our fallen, silly little brains this idea that, hey, this piece of wood, this lucky rabbit's foot, this special coin that my great-grandfather found in the park one day, you know, 100 years ago, this brings me luck. See, I'm a baseball guy, coached it, played it. You want to talk about a superstitious bunch. Yeah. Get a kid on a hitting streak and watch what happens to his socks or his batting gloves. They don't wash them ever. (laughs) Yes, no, not only that, but, like, like, I had a catcher who... Everything went on the exact same way. Practice, 
game. I'm like, you struck out the last time you did it. But the time before that, I'm like, all right, you know what? I'm just going to go sit over here. Just hurry up. I mean, there is a routine for everything. Why? Because our silly fallen brains thinks that it matters. Does it yeah. matter if I put my sock on left first, then right? Is that why I struck out? No, you struck out because you swung at a stupid curveball in the dirt. That's why you struck out. I mean, maybe next time I put my socks on right before left. That'll help. No. See, that's modern idolatry. It's modern, sinful pride swelling up and shaking its fist at God. And God will rightly condemn it. Now, that's the second thing on display. Did you catch the third thing? They will then say of me, only in the Lord are righteousness and strength, and men will come to him. In the Lord, all the offspring of Israel will be justified and will glory. The offspring of Israel? Mm, we might be stepping in something here. <clears throat> oh boy. <laughs> Who, pray tell, are the offspring of Israel? I think Romans makes this case very clearly. I think Galatians makes this face case. The case. This case. Yeah, yeah. that thing. Yeah. It makes this case very clearly. Hey, you say that twice in a row and see how right, you I get do. it. No, I get it. You, it makes the case very clearly. The descendants of Abraham are those who are of faith. Why? Because this is part of Paul's argument is when was circumcision given? After the covenant promise that was received by faith. Why? So that he will be the father of the faithful as well as the father of the circumcision. So ultimately, you stand in the line of Abraham as you stand faithful in Christ. God is promising that all the way back in Isaiah 45. Notice a recurring theme. Yeah. One story of redemption in the Bible. If you haven't picked up on that by now, like seven, eight episodes in, then there's no hope for you. Just just turn your phone off and go home. There, you're not going to get this ever. So I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Keep listening, please. Keep listening. <laughs> Oh, I almost no. let him off the hook there. Almost, but not quite. You don't want to do that yet. So, the children will be not guilty. Why? Because God is gracious, and those that have come to him will be redeemed. Those who have bowed the knee have acknowledged his sovereign righteous. Keep that in mind. It's not a sovereign mean rule. It's a sovereign righteous rule. They will be saved and not put to shame. They will rejoice in glory in the Lord. Now, we tell you that story. This is like going to be the recurring theme of the day. I told you this story to tell you this story, and I told you that story to tell you this story. Because this actually has some bearing on our world today, and it's a bearing that we don't like. Because I'm big on ditches. Like, I don't want to have to dig them for a living because I'm, I'm too pretty to work, but... <laughs> right. I, I say things like that just to, make, just to make Lou give me dirty looks. Now, <laughs> theologically, yeah. we want to avoid ditches, and they're on both sides of every highway that we travel. And this idea of the sovereignty of God perfectly splits and bisects two ditches that we can fall into. All right, Lou, what are our ditches? <coughs> if I could talk. What's, if we reject the sovereign rule of God and we live only for ourselves, what is that ditch on that side of the highway? Well, that's antinomianism, lawlessness, in plain speak. Um, it's also idolatry because you, you are the king of your world. You dictate what, what is good, what is evil. You are the one in control. <coughs> Sorry, guys. I'm suddenly hacking up a lung. And Luke is, Lou, Lou, Lou is looking at me like, are you going to make it? <laughs> Do we need to call somebody? <sighs> Apparently not. I've got Wuhan. <laughs> and I, I think on the other ditch, I don't know if this pertains to anything that we talked about earlier, but... Uh, there are there are some though that also um, they they also fall in the ditch of uh, um, legalism, yes. legalistic views, um, thinking that 
um, like you're talking about, that certain ritual of putting your socks on, not washing them, you know, this, this whole idea I know is big in Judaism um, and, and I know is big in legalistic frame of mind. You have to do it this way. You have to say the name this way. Yes. Or you're not talking about the God of creation. There's you your, are not saved. There's your ditches that the sovereignty protects us from. Yep. So let's tackle the first one first because that's typically how you do things. So two ideas carried within this lawlessness. One is cultural. One is theological. So within our first ditch, we have two ditches. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Are you confused yet? If I not, am. stick around. We yes. will lose you somewhere along yes. the way. Yes, let's get this straight okay. here. We have this idea of libertinism. This is something from church history, the, uh, the libertines. If you want to know what a libertine is, um, modern-day hedonists, and I don't mean it in the John Piper Christian hedonism way. I mean it in the bad Jamaican resort kind of way. So and if you know what I'm talking about, shame on you. Shame on you. Shame. Oh. Shame. Shame. He's looking at the computer again, shaming you. (laughs) No, libertinism is an extreme form of hedonism. It is a lawlessness based upon, in a nutshell, you could sum this up in modern American thought. If it feels good, do it. Do it. There's your idea of hedonism. Now, why do I like this? Because it feels good? Because I like it. Yeah, I don't know. It tastes good, it feels good, and, and, and it makes me happy. And isn't that what life is all about? Making me happy. See, there it is. You're the center of that universe, right? You know? See, yeah. there, this, is, this is why we avoid this. And this is where the sovereignty of God matches this. Because what the sovereignty of God tells you is that you, pray tell, fine sir, are not the center of the universe. God is. Right. Which means your goal of living is not living unto yourself in your pleasures. It is living unto God in his commands and precepts. And the way I said that, there is a segment of the population that that was nails on a chalkboard. Yeah. Because they're the other end of our ditch within a ditch. Yeah. And that's this idea of antinomianism. All right. Antinomianism is a theological lawlessness. Right. So social lawlessness we're defining as hedonism slash, you know, libertinism, if that's, if you want to be, you know, hoity and toity and pinky up about it. But theologically lawlessness is antinomianism. It literally means anti-namos, which is anti-law. Greek word for law is namos. Or at least one of the Greek words for law. We won't get into that right now. But the problem with this is that it says, theologically speaking, well, I'm under grace. I'm not under the law. Therefore, I don't worry about the law. Therefore, Jesus died for that too. I'm covered. That is a very poor outlook on our grace and our freedom as believers in Christ. How, I mean, if we love God, and we talked about this earlier, Michael, but if we love God, why would we, why would our, we thumb our noses up at God's law? He, he put it there for a reason. I think what Lou's trying to ask is this question. Shall I continue in sin so that grace may abound? Oh, may it never be. <laughs> right? And we got that. Paul is rising up. You got to say like you're an angry something or the Meganoita. Sounds like you're cursing at someone in Russian or something like that. Right. But it, it's Greek. No, may it never be. And I got to stop doing that because I can't breathe now. May it never be. How, how could we who are dead to sin continue there? in sin. I mean, yes. we are dead to those things. And, and the fact that we're able to come before our Lord is, is grace. We found favor through our Savior Christ. Why would we not love him and keep his commandments? Now, let's, 
let me let me extend an olive branch here because I know there are still some of you who had that nails on a chalkboard experience who are going, that's not what we mean when we say antinomian. We don't encourage people to say it. I would argue yes, you do, but <laughs> <laughs> since I'm arguing against you is not here, I will try to be fair. I don't think you want people to sin either, but I think the minimization of law in Christian preaching has the effect of making people believe that the law is useless. We are dead to the law for salvation. However, we are not dead to the law for righteousness. And that's a distinction that we have to make, and I think that's a distinction that the antinomian crowd does not make. <laughs> so, if I don't kill my neighbor, can I go to heaven? Well, it's part of it, but... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 that's, not, that's not the point of the law. And, and when you put it in that context, so you don't kill your neighbor. You are fulfilling the law. That is your salvation. That's exactly what the Bible says is not true. You know, we, Aww. by the works of the law, none shall be justified. Well, now you're just being mean. Come on now. I didn't kill anybody. I'm a pretty good guy. Well, it's nice that you didn't kill your neighbor. I didn't steal his stuff. Okay. I, I didn't sleep with his wife. Okay, you left his wife alone. That's yeah. good. Even though she was cute, I left her alone. Oh, my. You noticed that she was cute, so you were you were actually lusting after her. No, no, no I wasn't lusting. I was uh, just observing. Oh, okay, okay. So There's, there's a, a difference. There's a difference. Okay. Yes. We're, we're going to go with that anyway. <laughs> I, I mean, I didn't make any carved idols and put them on my mantle. Right. Yeah. See, if you're paying attention... <laughs> we're making fun here, but... Yeah, no, I, it sounds silly, but I, I'm, I'm making this point sillily for a reason. Have you noticed the recurring theme to all my statements? What's my idol? Yourself. I am. Yeah, right. You're, I'm still my idol. It's who's still this, idolatry. Who is the center of my universe? Yeah. I am. Right. See, this is where the sovereignty of God, the, the eternal rule and reign of God throughout all of history matters because it eliminates my standard, and it demands that I go and look at his standard, because mine is insufficient. Yeah, we don't really... That's, see, that's the thing that, that gets me. We don't really want our standards. If we're honest with ourselves, we will recognize that we miserably fail on a daily basis. We need a standard that is it, it's impossible for it to fail. We, the only way that we can be found right is for us to be in Christ, for us to be imitating our Savior, for us to be recognizing the rightful purpose of the laws in our life. It's not to say, I have completed X, Y, and Z, and therefore I am righteous, I belong in heaven, and nobody can tell me otherwise. Well, see, that just sounds like it's too easy, Lou. And that's the breakdown that we have. See, but this, is, this is why I put the antinomians and the hedonists in the same ditch, because mm -hmm. ultimately they lead to the same place. They both are trying to say the same thing, which is, it doesn't matter how I live. The hedonist says it doesn't matter how I live because I'm just going to live for my pleasures. The antinomian is walking alongside of him saying it doesn't matter how I live because Christ is covered. Both are in a wrong place and both are doing the wrong thing because they are rejecting the righteousness of God in the standard that he has laid down. Now... Let's flip over, and I'm going to do a quick battery change. But we've got to flip over and actually look on the other side of this. We're going to climb out of this one real quick and jump over the highway without getting run over and try to look at and understand how this works with fundamentalism. That hurt. I smacked myself with a battery. Ow! 
See the things that I put up with for you guys, I suffer so that you may learn. <laughs> See, I'm a victim. You are. I'm a victim, Lou. Yeah, yes. And I demand victim status. Dang on, that hurt. It's <laughs> a good one, huh? <laughs> now, yeah, this, now we, we, I'm going to warn you at home, we are, we are off the notes. So no promises here. Bad things may happen. There be dragons here. But on the other side of this ditch, we have the fundamentalist, which is the, the modern-day legalist. Now, this takes many forms. I think that at its core, confessional or catechistic Roman Catholicism is legalistic to the core, mm -hmm. despite what they claim. Mm -hmm. I think modern day, the modern day fundamentalist movement, you can think independent fundamentalist Baptist, you can think even, even fundamentalist Mormons, even though they're not Christian, yes, Mormons, I will make that argument, you're not Christian, would argue from a law-keeping perspective in what they're doing according to the letter. You see this in the New Testament with the Judaizers. It's a, it's a fundamentalist keeping that you must go through X, Y, or Z gate in order to end up at Christ. Mm -hmm. No matter what gate you make that to be, you've got to go through it. Well, they're making their uh, cultural rituals as the gateway to the Messiah. And the yes. Messiah does not sit behind their gate. Why not? It's a pretty gate. Right. We got it. We got it. Uh, we got it in sale. Because at he is God, and we are not. See, we don't is. get to make those rules. See, the sovereignty of God eliminates my standard once again, just like it eliminates my standardlessness and hedonism and antinobianism. It eliminates my standard in fundamentalism, in legalism, because what God says is, no, you don't get to make that rule because I make that rule. Right. Not you. Me. Not them. Not that guy. Not the one over there. Not even the one you really like at the family reunion. Me. And God reserves that. He lays out the groundwork for salvation going all the way back to the beginning. He lays out the condemnation of humanity. It's a fair trial. It's a just trial. But it's still a condemning trial. We're guilty. Yeah. We don't get a choice in that. We just are. Yeah. He's the only just judge. He is the only righteous being in all of creation. If anyone, if I want anyone to judge my case on that day, I want it to be God. I don't want it to be my neighbor. I want it to be him. Exactly. And that's their breakdown is every time we move away from a place that God is ruling and reigning, we are moving away from a place of biblical fidelity and we are moving to a place of idolatry. And that's the concern we've got to have on a daily basis. This is the lens through which you have to read things every single day. Because the minute you try to read them from another standard, we've moved off the biblical page and we have moved to something else. And every time we do that, we are back in idolatry. Doesn't matter how good your standard might be. If it isn't the biblical standard, it's wrong. End of conversation. What you are basically saying is, I am the proud one who has not bowed the knee. I am the one who is standing before God saying, yeah, I know what you said, but... <laughs> not a good place to be is the one who's saying, but, 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 but. The hedonist says, I know what you've said, but I don't care. Right. Because I enjoy this, and as long as I enjoy it, I'm going to wallow in it and do what I want. The antinomian says, I know what you've said, but I don't care because I think Christ has covered that, and therefore I don't need to worry about it. Yeah. The legalist says, I know what you said, but it doesn't go far enough. Look at all the problems we have in society because we haven't gone far enough. And this is where, this is where the worm really begins to turn. 
because what we're advocating and what we're trying to explain is fuzzy. And it's fuzzy because God has left it fuzzy. He, he, I'm getting the look again. Yeah, that, that look. Explain. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting the will. What you talking about, Willis? Yeah. <laughs> the reason I'm saying that is because, and what I mean by fuzzy is not that it's unclear. It's not unclear in its understanding. It's unclear in its application. So what I mean by that is, if I am unconcerned with a certain area of law-keeping, is it because I have rejected the standard of God or because I have not been brought into conviction that that is a problem? Probably the second. From the outside looking in, how would those two scenarios look different? Because I would argue they wouldn't. And so what we have to be careful with is not making our standard for how we have understood God's application in our lives normative and, um, what's the word I'm looking for, authoritative for everyone else. This is why we're all on different paths of sanctification. Some of us are farther along than others. Some of us are farther behind. This is the idea of the weaker brother. The weaker brother is sitting there saying, what? That meat was sacrificed to an idol. I can't eat that. That was offered unto a God that doesn't exist that makes a mockery of the God who has saved me. He's actually being a legalist. He's saying, I can't eat that meat because it's defiled. And Paul's looking at it going, no, it isn't. It's me. A God who doesn't exist can't defile me. <laughs> Dude, that's a T-bone. When was the last time you had a T-bone? Come on, let's go eat. Yeah. See. Well, he does, um, you know, for the weaker brethren, if you're in a congregation, he does say abstain from those things so yes. that you don't cause your brother to stumble, and that's a good thing. But he rightly recognizes that those are false gods yes. and that 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 in and of itself the is not defiling. The problem we get with the legalist is the legalist is the weaker brother saying, you can't do that because I think it's sin. Okay, yeah, yeah. Now notice who thinks it's sin. I do. We have to be careful that on both air, at both sides. We may be right. We may be right that it's sin. It's hard. What we have to do then is explain to the other brother why it's sin. Right. And not demand an adherence and a following that they don't believe in. That's what I mean when I say that this is, this is fuzzy in its application. Well, if we're talking about those who eat meat and those who only eat vegetables... And those who only eat vegetables are the weaker brethren. Is that is that the context that we're talking about here? Yes. Okay. Okay. So I, I I think that if somebody is in the presence of 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 a people who have not they 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 are not the same faith as you, and you're having dinner with them, they're in the family, whatever it is, and they're eating certain things and you're not. I don't think that they're weaker than me or I'm weaker than them because I abstain from it. Agreed. Right. Um, it, it, it's based off of my conviction of what I think the Word of God says. The point that I'm saying is in mm-hmm. that moment, if you look at them and say, you can't eat that because it's wrong. Right. One, it's kind of a jerk thing to say. Two, but two, okay, you need, to, you need to do a lot more legwork than that. Right, right. Because what, I you're, agree. what you're doing is you're, you're now holding a legalistic standard. What is the status for why it's wrong? Because I think it is. Whoa, time out. If nothing else, what I'm trying to get you to understand is your standard must always move beyond, I think. I think think that's wrong. No, no, no. Mm -hmm. I want a Bible verse. Right. I I want a chapter. I want a book. I, I I want something. Right. 
I want something outside of you that has its basis and its understanding in God that declares and explains to me why this is a problem. Right. Then, now, now we're moving away from a fundamentalist mindset, but we cannot move away from it to the point that we end up at a hedonistic or an antinomian mindset. Oh, I'm with so, you. <clears throat> this is why, again, I say this is fuzzy. So, you know what, you know what answer I hate? more than any other in human history. I have a feeling you're going to tell me. <laughs> <laughs> when a parent looks at their child and says, because I, so. I said so, right. drives me up a wall. Right. Now look, I, I had two lunatic parents that there were moments, and they literally never said to me because I said so. I always knew why and what, and I was better for it. Now there are times I've been aggravated and almost bit my own tongue off to not say it to my own kids, but I recognize when they're asking me why, it's because they don't understand the reason. And while there may be times that you do it right now and explain it in a minute, <clears throat> and that's good for them, there does always need to be an explanation of why. Because ultimately, who do I want my kids to follow? God. God. Now, I want them to follow God as they follow me, but I don't want them to blindly follow me. I want them to follow God, which means there's going to come a point where whose who's instruction should they actually be questioning? Right, right. If they question your instructions, are they not questioning God's instructions by doing that? If you're following God yes. and you ask them to do something and they question that, yes, they are questioning God. But as they get older, what I want them to do is to evaluate my instruction yeah. and see, wait a minute, Test I things. don't see where this lines up with what God has commanded. Right. See, now I'm making a disciple who is thinking, right. who is moving beyond. Because this last thing I want is my kids to leave my house and go, well, Dad said this is what we do, so this is what we do. Mm. No. That's my faith, not their faith. As a disciple, I want you to internalize your faith every single day. Mm -hmm. Every decision, every thought process, I want you to be doing it on the basis of faith and service unto God. And that's the distinction that we're making here. So I want you to follow along, but I want you to follow along critically. So that you're evaluating, and if you can't poke a hole in it, then dag nab it because I said so. <laughs> because I've said something that is good, right, and true, and I want you to follow it. That's what I want to have happen as we move along. And that's the, that's the, the, that's the distinction that we're making as we move out of legalism before we get to antinomianism and lawlessness on the other side. Right. Is I want to be able to give a standard and an account for what we do and why we do it that is based on the urging, guiding, and directing of the Holy Spirit in my life, the precepts and commands of God rightly applied, and my active service to Him. And if those are my standards that I'm following after, and that's the grid that I'm running these things through, that's going to look different for people. It's going to be different planes in different places. And by planes, I don't mean like the, you know, the motor things that fly. I mean levels. That doesn't mean that there's no objective truth in your life. It just means this is what you understand to be truth yes. on those yes. things. Yes. We're not talking about subjectivism here. Correct. I just want to clear that, yes. clarify that for the people who are listening, no. that that's not what you're saying. No, because there is an objective standard. Right. But what we need to do as believers is... Come, let us reason together and understand that objective standard Absolutely. together. Right. The minute we get to a place that I've said it, you do it. Well, short of a three-year-old, we're not in a good place. Because what we're saying now is, who is my standard? 
you are the guy who told me to do it. Yeah, yeah. We're we're now back to fundamentalism. We're back to legalism. My standard has moved from God to something else, and this goes back to one of my favorite Luther quotes. You know, when he stands before the uh, the 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 synod at Dort and he says, "What? I'm captive to the word of God into my conscience, and it's not wise to sin against one's conscience." Right. Here I stand. I can do no other, because. You're telling me something as an authority that I can't square with the word of God. So what does he say? Unless I am convinced by the clear understanding of scripture, I can't consent. So you have to give me something outside of your because I said so. Now that doesn't mean Luther has no standard. What's his standard? The scriptures. Scripture. Now, does his understanding of scripture differ from, say, I don't know, Desiderius Erasmus? Oh my, yes. Yes, and they went round and round. Why could they still communicate with one another? Because they both acknowledged they were operating from a standard that they could that they could exegete, that they could deal with, that they could understand. So they reasoned and they worked. They didn't always agree, but they reasoned and they worked together. This is why I can call Presbyterians my brother, yeah. even though I think they're wrong about church polity and covenantalism. Because I recognize that we can understand those things differently and reason them, right. but we still have an objective salvation that is true and good, and we don't have to separate over that level. We do too much Christian separation over things that fall either into the legalism or the lawless territory. Right. And I think that's, that, that's part of the thing that I'm trying to make, make us deal with. Because when it comes to daily life, this is, this is where the, the third thing comes in for us today. I'm not my boss. Mm-hmm. You're not your boss. But also, I'm not your boss either. Yeah. I think what we're talking about here is theological triage. Yes. And, and what that is, is uh, it's basically uh, looking at the things that we disagree about and categorizing them as either first, second, or third order doctrines and deciding, you know, what that means. So while you believe the Presbyterians are saved and they are your brothers in Christ, there are some things that they do and teach and believe that would make it difficult for you to sit in that church Basically impossible. Impossible. Yes. So that's, that's what we're talking about here. We're not, we're not talking about um, distinctions that we're calling our brothers in Christ heretics. We're just saying we don't agree with that, and we're going to agree to disagree on that, and I still consider you my brother in Christ. Unless you're a faithful PCUSA, then you might be a heretic because that's the, that's the left-leading liberal branch of the Presbyterian. Yeah, so, that, see, now they're allowing culture to dictate yeah. their, you know— Because who's the boss? Well, culture. somebody is in yes. culture. Somebody's dictating a lifestyle that doesn't line up with the scriptures. And they're saying, but, but God is, is, is the God of love. He would want us to, to welcome and affirm these, these brothers. And, and, and it's just, it's nonsense. Forgot- That's nonsense. They've forgotten the sovereignty. See, this all, this all does work together in the same conversation, I promise you. Yeah. You may have to unwind the spaghetti ball when we're done, but it will make sense, I promise. This is the distinctions that we're making. Now, this is why, again, I say that it's fuzzy when we deal with the actual walk. Because while we're avoiding legalism on one end, where I'm the authority or I'm taking your authority, no, Scripture's the authority, which means we're going to have some, 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 some tussles and some tangling going on. We want to avoid just casting it out completely. This is why I still think it is a mercy from God that we have Christian denominations. Because faithful Baptists can can worship together in heaven with faithful Presbyterians when they realize that we were right because they will then see our view of history is correct. But anyway, I'm sorry, what was I saying? <laughs> I don't know. That last statement. <laughs> I guess I'm wondering if they're going to be 
Baptists and Presbyterians in, yes. in the heavens. Before the throne as the Presbyterians are apologizing for being wrong about okay. their understanding of covenantal theology <laughs> because covenantal Baptists have it right. Okay. It's along with you dispensationalists who are wrong too, but that's a whole other can of worms also. We just opened up another can, and, and man, we have so many things open in this, this well, session. We will do eschatology eventually, but there's more important things to deal with. Yeah. Again, dispensational brethren and sistren, I love you, I care about you, I just disagree with you about the end. But? I do think Jesus is coming back, but look, trusting in Jesus by grace through faith, we're good. We will be before the throne of God, and then you realize I was right, but that's a different discussion. Mm. No. So as we walk down the road, we can fight about those things, but we recognize we're in the middle of the road. Mm -hmm. We don't want to descend into, well, no, no, I believe this, therefore you have to believe it too. So you're not excommunicating me because... I'm, I'm thinking things. about it. Okay. I'm thinking about All it. Right. It's happened not. to me before, <laughs> and I lived through it, so I think I'll be okay, but um, yeah. <laughs> no, I don't want to devolve to the point that my standard is my standard. No, I want to be able to argue from Scripture and recognize when your argument from Scripture, I don't think holds water, but doesn't make you a heretic. At the same time, I want to stay in the road and not fall into the ditch on the other side where we throw it all out and say, this doesn't matter. We're just not going to talk about it. So, like, we'll use our eschatology example. I, I don't want a pan-millennial. Like, everything's going to pan out in the end and it doesn't matter. No, it does matter. How you think about the eschaton, how you think about the second coming, how you think about the binding of Satan in the millennial kingdom, all of that actually matters to how you live your life because I think your understanding of those things will, will work themselves out in how you live. But I can walk and work with people who disagree with me on those things because those are the things that we stand in the road and we debate in Scripture. <clears throat> Excuse me. Those are not the things that we shove each other off and one of us lands in a ditch. And I, I use eschatology as an example because there are a lot of people, especially on the fundamental side of things, that that's, that's a deal breaker. Yeah. Like, no, like, like which pope do you think is the Antichrist is, is their question. You know, like, which, you know, who's the false prophet? Like, which member of Congress? And I'm like, I don't care. Yeah. I don't want to have this fight. But when we make that the grid and the lens through which we operate, we've removed the standard from the sovereign God, and we've placed it on something else that should really be a third, fourth, fifth level issue. Right. And it doesn't work any longer. We have to remember that it is God who has decreed the what, the when, and the why. And while I'm maybe figuring out some of what that is in the future, I can be certain about what that is in the past because I can look back through Scripture and through the lens of history and I can see what he has accomplished and how he has accomplished it. Mm -hmm. So we can come to a consensus on the things that he has done. We can talk about the things he's going to do, but we can have consensus on the things that he has done. Therefore, we can have unity and agreement. And I think we can both agree, standing in the middle of the highway, that those crazy libertines have lost their minds. Yeah. You can't live like that. Yep. It's like, the, oh, what, what Supreme Court justice was it? Was it Marshall? I don't know. If it wasn't Marshall, go read some Supreme Court decisions. They probably won't do you good. But when asked to define like, what's pornography, what's pornographic and obscene, and he's like, I don't know. I can't give you an objective definition of it, but I know it when I see it. Oh, my. Well, legally, that's a terrible standard. Spiritually, that's actually a really good standard. Because if you are guided by the Holy Spirit, what's sinful? I'll know it when I see it. I'll know it when I see it in my life, and I'll know it when I see it in your life. And if I don't see it in my life, you know what I need you to do? <laughs> I need you to ring a bell and flash a light to show me that it's wrong. That, that is true, but there is an objective standard. No, and it's... There is, but practically in how it works itself out. Look, if, if, 
if we were perfectly capable of following that objective standard, we would all be perfectly sanctified right now. The fact that we're not means that we have blind spots and things that we haven't seen yet. Mm-hmm. Ask any believer that has lived any length of time, and they'll tell you they just kind of woke up one day and were like, I can't believe I've been doing this this whole time. Right, yeah. I've never seen this before. Yeah, I'm there. How does that happen? Now, was it objectively wrong 20 years ago when they were a new believer? Well, yes. yes. Is it objectively wrong today? Well, well, yeah. If you told them it was objectively wrong 20 years ago, would they have dealt with it? Probably not. Probably, well, it, it depends. depends. I mean, the Holy Spirit convicts us. There it is. And he's that, our helper. He helps guide us that, through what we've that's learned. That's the fuzzy, nebulous walking down the middle of the road that I'm talking about, is we have to be careful of looking at somebody going, you're not following the standard that I see. Fundamentalism. We want to say, you're not following what God has commanded objective standard. We're now coming back and too often our argument becomes what I think you're doing that's wrong rather than the third party. And the third party here is and always has been God. Are you confused yet? If not, we'll keep going. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we'll we'll get you there. This is is all because I said something was fuzzy. Do you see what happens when you use fuzzy language? Yeah, we were right off on that bunny trail right there. Well, it's not a bunny trail in this talk because what we're trying to do is figure out, we're trying to work out in real time, how do we walk down this road and not fall into the ditch? And the answer is really, it's complicated in practice, but it's simple in explanation. It's simple in explanation in that we avoid falling into the ditch by relying and resting on God. Mm-hmm. understanding that he is the standard, that he has preserved what is required of you, O man, in a book. Mm-hmm. He has put it down so that you may observe, learn, know, and apply. That's, that, you know, there's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. We want Christian wisdom after Christian knowledge. Knowledge for no purpose is useless. We want wisdom to flow from that knowledge. But as we are working out that wisdom, we're going to have some zigzagging on the highway. The trick is, can we stay on the road resting and trusting in God? And can we do that with our brothers and sisters in Christ, not by pulling them to our standard, but by pulling them to God's? So by being willing to debate the scriptures, explain the application, and not be the, uh, the mega mind, you know, wow, wow, with the great pulsating brain in the room. I'm right, the rest of you are nincompoops, follow me. No, even, what did Paul say? Follow after me as what? As I follow, as I follow after Christ. This right. is why as I want my kids to grow up, I want them to evaluate what I'm telling them. Well, the, the idea is for them to see Christ in their yes. dads and say, this is what he was talking about when they are capable of dividing that word properly and saying, how does this apply? How do I walk this out? And I remember my dad and and how faithful he was and how he handled that word of God with care and with trembling, and he did not want to stumble and make one of us stumble. And that's what I said, as they grow, I want them to begin to make that evaluation because what I want them to see, because there's probably going to come a day when they're going to look at me and go, you know, we're seeing the direction you're going, and it's not good. And that's when it's incumbent upon me to evaluate not by what they've said, but by what God has said. Right. Don't right. just take their word for it, because I don't want them to take my word for it. Right. You have to be a, a constant Berean. You know, you have to go back to the word of God and say, did God really say this? Yes. Did he say this, and how do I apply that to my life? Because he hasn't moved. Right. He hasn't moved. He hasn't changed. And the fate that we're dealing in 
hasn't changed. And theologically speaking, it's probably a terrible word to use as fate. But the, the ultimate end of humanity apart from God hasn't changed. So the judgment against sin hasn't gone away. The vicious vileness of sin as it works itself out, even in a believer's life, has not gone away. It still eats, devours, and destroys like a plague of locusts. And it still does damage in a Christian's life, which is why we seek to root it out. Right. But we have to root it out the right way. We can't root it out by pretending it doesn't exist. Yeah. Yeah. And we can't root it out on the other side of the road by just assembling gates and hedges that try to protect us from our sin. You know, this is the old Tim Hawkins line. You know, we always want to pray a hedge of protection. Like Satan walks up and goes, shrubbery, my only weakness. How did they know? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that's great. I mean, we, uh, we try to build these walls and like Satan can't walk up to our lattice work and go, guys, can you take this down? I'm trying to destroy your immortal souls here. Right. A little help, please. No, he goes charging through. And if anything, if we assemble those hedges, he leaves them alone because they're going to keep us from God a lot more than they're going to keep us from him. That's interesting that you say that. that you know, um, part of uh, Judaism is they built this this hedge around uh-huh. the commandment, and they started teaching for their for themselves the doctrines of their yes. cultural understandings, and thus they started to ignore the word of God. I think that was the refrain in Matthew. Yes, you know, it is. You, you teach the traditions of God or traditions of men rather than. The, the word of God. That's idolatry. They've removed God from his throne. They've tried to replace the sovereign rule and reign of God with something else, right. namely their own intelligence. Right. See, that's that's the perfect example of what Phariseeism looks like. It's not that I keep a law. It's that I keep my law. Right. And that and, and I, I don't say that to make fun of Judaism because we've been talking about fundamentalism. And when you look at uh, the, the fundamentalist's view and how sometimes their their dogmas are are put uh, before the Word of God. It's no different than Pharisaical Judaism, in my yes. opinion. I think that we do the same thing. So don't don't get me wrong. I'm not an anti-Semite. I, I, I'm just <laughs> I'm just trying to draw a parallel that this problem has not just sprouted up with, you know, the fundamentalist groups. This has no. been here this for a long time. Yeah, this, this is, is the inherent problem with man. And the problem we have as evangelicals more often than not is our rejection is not to get back on the road and do the hard work that we've been talking about, the spaghetti ball that you have to unwind. The, the, the problem we've created is that we haven't gone there, but we've gone across the road and we've gone into the other ditch. Or we're not going to condemn anything. We're not going to tell anyone how to live. You're going to live however you want, and we're just going to trust that Christ has covered that. Let God sort it out in the end, right? Yeah. And uh, no, no, it's not a good way to do it. That's not Christian. No, Christian living is, again, fuzzy. It's in the road, hashing out, dealing with the commands that God has laid down, and figuring out together how these apply in our lives. So work it out with fear and trembling. Yes. We have and, to. And again, though, but we have to recognize that's going to be messy. Yeah. And it's going to be messy because there's going to be people that disagree with how I've understood that standard. There's going to be people that reject how I understand that standard. And there's going to be people that are broken because they have understood that standard and realized how they've fallen short. Right. And I may be all three of those people at any given moment. Because we're all going to be encountering that as we walk faithfully. Right. But the encouragement is we sit under the objective teaching and standard of God, we do not run away and try to find it somewhere else. Right. Because the minute we do that, we've just gone right back to idolatry. We're back to shaking our fists. No. God has, is the one who's working out history, going all the way back to where we started with Isaiah 45. 
God is the one who is working things out in history. He is the one who is proclaiming what will occur from times long past. He is the one who is accomplishing these things. What I must now do is figure out how do I walk faithfully in the path that he has paved. And as I do that, I am secure that as I walk faithfully, that he will preserve me. He will bear me up because I have faithfully bowed the knee and surrendered to him. Therefore, I can trust that he will guard and he will gird me for the battles that I will fight. And I don't have to try to get off of this road because it's too hard. It's supposed to be hard. Yeah. You, you, you don't, I mean, they, they did this, they do this with, um, with vineyards now. They, they, they purposely try to underwater some of the vineyards because the grapes, the grapevine struggling to, to produce grapes and find water and, and the hardiness of the plant being strengthened actually produces a richer grape when it is watered and produces. Right. So that, that plant actually struggling for a short period is actually good for what it, what it creates later on. Yeah. Um, this is Christian living. Right. We are struggling. We are growing stronger. We are yes. sharpening each other. Iron sharpens iron. We, these principles are all in the scriptures. That's, that's why Michael, he always says, read it, it'll do you some good. Um, that's why we need to get back to the scriptures. We need to read it. We need to understand it. And then we need to listen for the Holy Spirit for him to guide us, to preserve us. I agree. That's the, this is what Paul says. When is, his pow- when is God's power perfected? In, In our, our weakness. weakness. Yes. When we are weak, then we are strong. Because when we are at our weakest, God is at his most present and powerful and moving in our lives. That's so good. as we surrender, yeah, that's good. bow the knee, as we are surrendered, we are powerful because God is the one who is at work and is preserving and is carrying us along. That's good news for us. All right. Did we miss anything? Um, we didn't really talk about God's call to repentance. We did. We did Shame. walk over that. You know, we walked Shame. over that. We 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 jumped right to Israel. Uh, Israel's ch- um, children Shame. will not be guilty. <laughs> so God is calling to repentance. Yes, this is the, the the whole section of Isaiah here. That's what He's doing, and this is this is the beauty of the middle of the road. So mm-hmm. watch watch this. We are going to summarize it all in one shot because I know some of you are looking at your clocks like, how long are these people going to drone on? So, <laughs> declare, set forth your case. Indeed, let them consult together. Who has announced this from old? Who has long since declared it? It is not. Is it not I, the Lord? There is no other God besides me, a righteous God and a Savior. Turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth for I am God and there is no other what is his call those of you that are walking in the middle of that road who are bowing the knee you are there because you have turned to him you have forsaken your sin the ditches on both sides and you are trusting in what he has called and proclaimed to you this is the beauty of why we want to be in the middle of the road if we get down in the ditch with the hedonists we can't look at them and go stop doing that because where are we we're knee-deep in their sin. That yeah. that's, does us no good. We can't proclaim follow us on the good path when we're in the muck and the mire of the ditch. At the same token, we can't climb over with the legalist jumping through all their hoops and saying, hey, let's go over here and be saved. Because again, where are we? We're knee-deep in our sin, lost in muck and mire. Rather, we stand in God and proclaim, come walk with us. Because what has God done? He has stood above the fray and said what? Come walk with us. Trust in me. Turn to me. Away from sin to me and I will save. And that's how that passage ends. Is What does he deliver? He delivers all those who have come to him. All right. those who have bowed the knee. 
They have, they have not received judgment. They have been preserved. They've been persevered. That, the important thing I think that we need to also make clear is that not only is Israel called to repentance, but the beginning of this passage talks about the nations. Yes. So we That's come we together define. as a people of God called to follow God out of the world and into his righteous living. And that's, that's how the passage ends. All the children of Israel, those who are of faith in Abraham, right. will be justified and will be in glory. Yeah. See, that's, that's a promise of redemption. Yeah. There is would... reason to praise our God yes. because he has, he has sealed the deal for everyone that is called by his name. And all that, and all that praise and all that worship is done yeah. in him trusting in Bali. Now have we covered everything? Yes, we did it. We all did right, it. go I'm... team. So... Children, what have we learned here today? Oh, I don't Let's know. We've learned a lot, man. God Jesus. is the righteous ruler and savior. This yeah. is why we write these things down. We are not free to live however we may desire, be that lawlessly or law. What's the lawfully isn't the right way of saying it, but you don't get to make your standard. God makes a standard. And you are not free because you have bowed the knee. You are worshiping and serving a God who has given you a standard. That's what we've learned. So as we walk, we follow, we trust based upon what he has given to us in his word, by his spirit, because he loves and cares for us. Yes, that's good. That's good, so, Michael. That's good. A couple of things going on. We um, check out the website for more content and some different things that we have, practicaltheologyministries.com. There you can find us on Facebook, you can find us on Twitter, you can uh, access our theological journal. January and February's issues are out. It has expanded as it goes. March is going to be even longer, and hopefully that'll get out in the next week or so. But that is all up there on the website, practicaltheologyministries.com. If you have any questions or you just want to like complain at somebody because I've insulted your dispensationalism, I will own that. Um, info <laughs> at practicaltheologyministries.com. You can send emails there, and I promise that I will get them. And if you send angry emails, I promise you I will respond calmly politely and lovingly, no matter what you say to me. You can't make me do anything else. So check out all that. Come back when we continue on, when you see this stuff posted again, and we will see you again. In the meantime, read your Bible, serve, and love your Savior. God bless.